What up, y'all? Welcome to the Cast of Color, a show where a diverse group of creatives talk all things film, TV, and entertainment. My name is John Carter. I am joined by my boy Joe, per usual. What's happening, man? Hello, hello, hello. And it's a very special recording session. We have a longtime friend, a previous guest of the show, has made an appearance once more. He's got some a few projects in the works at the moment. This is the boy, Alex Benjamin. Thanks for joining, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome Hell back. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> me back. Appreciate it. Yes, yes. Hell, hell yeah. It's dope to have the boy. We have a very cool show lined up. Uh, we're going to go right into our catch up. Then we're going to hop into our diversity report section like we do every single week. And uh, in that section, it's going to get a little heated because we're talking white savior movies, what those are. Yeah, we're going to get into that. And then we're going to end the show with a little movie review on the Hulu movie, Happiest Season. Kristen Stewart, uh, quite a few people in that cast. So I'm excited for that. So charming. What a charming movie, yeah. No, just charming very much with the time. So we're going to get into that at the very end. Uh, So just catching up here, I know it's been... We're still in COVID, listeners, wherever you're, you're listening to this. It's still on lockdown. I live in Los Angeles County along with um, Alex and Joe. So it, it's, it's only getting more strict with this fucking COVID lockdown and everything. So yeah, you're uh, lockdown hard. Lockdown, lockdown hard. hard. <laughs> lockdown hard. The cases are soaring, apparently. More people are getting confirmed with COVID. I'm staying at the, the crib all the time. But uh, apart from that, Alex, how you been, Max? I know you got a new six month baby who is keeping you quite occupied my brother oh yeah so um no that but my wife just went back to work so like the last month was me figuring out how to just take care of her alone oh yeah never 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 been around with also with working at night and then auditioning and stuff like that sure um so i've never been around kids my life my whole life never 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 around young kids nothing um so oh, we had same yeah <laughs> so we had the time to to kind of learn while my wife was home and then when mm-hmm. she went back um it was kind of like okay here we go this is it this is it <laughs> this uh, is it yeah that can be <laughs> daunting yeah. for a father I, I feel you bro mm-hmm. so it was it was it was cool though like my, my little girl's awesome like she's she's really cool and it, it, it helps when you really love the the baby Obviously. Oh my gosh! Sure. It's like it taking care of. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like taking care of like a, a, a just a version of yourself. Straight up, so it's just yeah. Straight up, man. Yeah, that that's one thing that this pandemic has allowed me to do. Because like yourself, bro, I I was never around babies. I was like, I'm fucking solid. I don't want to hold the baby. I just yeah, a- acting was my. <laughs> you know, the, the the industry. That's what I really loved. And then having a kid now, like you said, it's like just molding a a similar but unique version of yourself. And I've got to spend so much time with her during during COVID. Like we, every Friday, I have to watch her because my my wife works and my mom works, so I'm with her every Friday, bro. We met, we watched Mandalorian. She takes her nap. She's she's well behaved. Last night was a pain yeah. in the fucking ass, though. Because <laughs> always had to sleep like on her own, and she's been used to sleeping with mom and dad or with grandma. Mm-hmm. And grandma be doing that shit often. If she cries during the week, because Allie and I work, grandma snatches her up, puts her in the room, and she sleeps on the bed. So last night I had to sleep on the damn futon in my daughter's room just to make sure she would go to sleep. And she did. So now I know she just wants someone there in the room with her, but it's oh, yeah, a pain man, in the I'm ass nonetheless. So it's the way to go though, man. It, it, it is, it's a pain in the ass, but it's not every night, but it, the, the closer you are and the, the, the 
the more she knows you're going to be there for her yeah later on in life she's going to feel more confident to be on her own and so that's kind right. of the philosophy that that my wife and i take wow. is whenever the baby calls we're there she's she's with us pretty much all the time she's yeah. becoming really independent though um and also just because we've seen examples of it in yeah. uh, kids that are growing up and we're like oh, that kid's awesome that kid's that kid's the shit so we're right like, right what, what is are you guys doing kid? like yeah. what are you guys doing and it's really a big part. Like we, I read her like 10 books a day or something like that. Like nice. She, just, she nice. loves, loves you're books. Doing, you're yeah. doing it all. Yeah. She loves books. That's like her, her main like entertainment is books. Oh my gosh. Um, so she, she just like grab the pages and stuff. She's like, she's learning to sit up. She can't quite sit up on her own yet, but she's learning now. Right. Right. And she would just lean over and just like jump on the book and just like try to <laughs> grab, grab the pictures. But no, it's cool. Yeah. Like, like, like you said, COVID, like this whole the pandemic sucks. Like it's just straight up. Like it just God. it just sucks. But fucking awful. Honestly, for me, I've got to spend so much time with her that yes. I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. One hundred percent. My family's all here. Yeah, I was noticing that before. I was just working five days a week and going to work five days a week, and the amount of time I've had to spend with her now, it's it's bonding time that I feel is molding her and developing that relationship. It's so funny how you say being there for them because people would think if you're if you're there too much they'll be dependent on you mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. be more reliant but it's funny you say that the more you're there for them the more confidence they'll have later on to be independent and right because that's that's kind of the argument with the whole cry it out philosophy mm. but the All problem right. with that is become they become so traumatized with knowing being there for them that they need someone later on right and that's just wow. kind of Oh. It's, kind of, it's weird. It's a reverse because you know the crying and kids know they know you're there. Yeah, okay, I think that's my my caller. Um, <clears throat> they know you're there. So I mean, there's stories of people doing the cry out thing. The kids like, why are you doing this? And like, it's yeah. just it's really not only that, but it's just fucking sad. I can't I can't stand hearing my daughter cry. Like, Bro, it just breaks, breaks yeah, like I can't. can't do it. I I I I try my best to be the authoritative, which I am, but even then, it's like at the end of the day, I just I don't want her crying. If there's something I know I can do to mitigate that crying. I'm going to fucking knock it out. At the yeah. end of the day, I just I don't want her crying. So uh, <laughs> that's good to hear, man. That's good to hear. Yeah. And I love yeah. hearing your perspective on fatherhood. You have such a wisdom to you, Alex. I'm, oh, thank I you. Need- thank you. <laughs> I, I, just, I'm just co- I just heard someone saying I just copied it. And it's just like, no, <laughs> I, I came up with that. <laughs> that was all me. Shit, that was I, all me. I've been getting so impatient with my daughter. I'll be honest. Dur- during the night, and that's what we've been working on. Our biggest mission right now is getting her sleeping on her own again through mm-hmm. the night. And but have you noticed that as time goes on, even though you were impatient, don't you get more patient? Yeah. As time because your love just grows and grows and grows and grows. Absolutely. So it's like when you start to get impatient, you feel like, oh man, I'm being an asshole. Like you see right, it right away. It's like this kid doesn't know what they're doing. They have no right. only form of communication mostly right now for my daughter's crying. Like that's how she communicates. Right. And if she's crying, you she's, know. Yeah. For me, it's like she's crying, she's breathing. And yes. so that was my biggest scare for her. It's like I didn't realize kids just die, man. They just fucking, they just die. Like yeah. there's for SIDS, like a sudden infant death syndrome. There's just no reason. Sometimes yeah. they just die and they don't have a, a solid reason why they died. So it's, a, it's a huge thing. So like that's, it's just scary. Being yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, I Heavy. feel you. And Joe. All that one kid day. talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Chris, 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 Chris thinking about me. Chris thinking about me is that I don't have kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, just but jump uh, in, just jump in, man. <laughs> you know, John, like it was it was crazy that you said the thing about um like not wanting to hold your kids. Cause I'll I'll be honest with you, like I don't even know if I've ever held Kamea yet. <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, I yeah. never I never picked her up or anything, but like it's like even with my like niece and nephew, like when they were like newborns, I was like, no, I'm not holding this baby. Like I'm I'm too scared to like, you know, it's yep. like, oh, you have to hold them proper, like hold their neck Absolutely. here. It's like, it's like, yeah. no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to do all that. I'll wait till they're older. <laughs> I, I didn't learn to hold my daughter properly until probably like a month, man. Yeah. She, she, she's so uncomfortable when I would hold her. Bro, like- <laughs> oh my gosh. Especially as a man, because I felt that my wife, just her body felt more comfortable yes. for my daughter. Yes. And I was holding my kid and she, she and she, I would feel it when I put her on my chest. She's like, you are not comfortable. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> your body is right? not like mommy's. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you on it. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Well, so Joe, don't even worry about it, man. When you have a kid, you ain't got no choice. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 have, to you have to learn. Have to learn at that point. Like you literally have no choice. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I feel it. Take take your time. Take your time. Listen, take your time. Take your time. It is it is well worth it though. And it's funny how that was my biggest fear. That was when I told my my wife on the first date. I was like, I'm an actor. This is what I want to do. I don't want kids because of these reasons. I understand the time commitment it takes to raise a kid. And it's not something I'm willing to do right now. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I didn't, but it was still a choice. We we chose to yeah. uh, have her. So it's, yeah. Nice. Nice. I thought well, there's a lot of things I thought I was going to be able to do still. Mm-hmm. And you, you realize you don't know shit until you, <laughs> until you have a kid. And you're like, okay, I, I, didn't, I don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> it, it is a new chapter of humility and sacrifice. That's the best way I can describe it. Just... You realize how much shit you don't know by being yeah. a dad, <laughs> being a parent. Um, very nice. Very nice. Well, a- along with that, we posted something on our Instagram page uh, about HBO Max, how Warner Brothers is dropping. I mean, damn near. Correct me if I'm wrong, but all of their 2021 slate is being dropped on HBO Max. So I know, Joe, you you, you have a little bit of uh Oh, yeah, no, I got I got some thoughts. I got some thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's going on with this? Because I'm hyped. Yeah, so I got to renew my subscription. You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> well, going to no, go back in there. For you, Prince. Yeah. for you, it's different because you have like a Roku TV. And for whatever reason, like HBO Max and Roku, just like, you know, like the, the app isn't available there. I don't know why, but I, I'm pretty so sure they're strange. working, towards, they're working yes. towards putting the app on there. Yeah. But, uh, really? Yeah, there's certain TVs you can't have the app on, bro. Yeah. My big ass Roku TV, Alex. I cannot yeah. have HBO Max. So when I did have it, oh, shit. I was just watching it on my laptop. Then I canceled it. I was like, "Fuck, I want to watch on the big on the big screen." But if you have an Xbox or I think a P, even a PlayStation, I think you might be able to do it that way. So yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna get it again. We're resubscribing. We're going like thirds with someone else on on the subscription though. So gonna... <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but Man, you, know, you have to, you have to, especially. Now especially with the announcement, because like, you know, like you said, like Warner Brothers announced this past week that all their movies mm-hmm. that were pushed back in 2020 got delayed and all their movies are that were released in 2021. Warner Brothers is putting all those movies on HBO Max while also having um, those movies in theaters simultaneously. If there are any, you know, theaters open next year, like, I mean, who really knows? You know what I mean? Right, right. But uh, to be honest with you, like, I mean, on my end, I'm very much excited to watch all of these movies at home. You know, but like my main concern is that like, okay, like the theater industry moving forward, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not looking good. It's kind of like a bittersweet feeling. You know what I mean? Like 
this could be the final nail in the coffin for the theater industry, like moving forward, like straight up, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's, that's what Lucas and uh, Spielberg were talking about years ago. Yeah. Is kind of going down that path. I'm not sure if you guys heard there them talking about that stuff uh, with the movie streaming. Theater, streaming services and things like that. But mm-hmm. what, did, what did they have to say? They're basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, they're basically saying that eventually in the future, it's going to be where only the biggest movie is played at very limited movie theaters. It's going to cost like a hundred bucks to go and watch it. And the wow. majority of the films are going to release on streaming. And honestly, like it's kind of for movies to stay in business, it kind of seems it's going to have to be that way. If they can corner the market somehow and only release it in the theater for mm-hmm. a inflated price, mm-hmm. that's what they're going to have to do. And it's just like yeah. Joe was saying, if they're not doing that, then I mean, theater market is dead. Mm-hmm. Watching at home. Because I, I do feel that there is, there's a huge demand for people who consume movies that there's a huge demand. Uh, God, I don't even know if I can say huge, but I just feel like a lot of moviegoers enjoy the movie going experience. And oh, I yeah. feel like before the pandemic, a lot of movies are catering to the experience as a whole by providing dope ass concessions, uh, good food, open bars and things like that. So to your point, Alex, just, yeah, yeah. Just, just thinking that, you know, what if it is the only the, the really big movies that drop in theaters and at that inflated price that yeah. I can absolutely see that happening. And, you know, people, we, we, we really enjoy the streaming, the lifestyle of it and the convenience of it. And to imagine now that it's so embedded in our everyday, it's hard to imagine how movie theaters would get creative to get people to keep coming. So, right. And the yeah. thing about the thing about this whole thing too, is that like, uh, that I feel like some people miss is that, this is the plan just for 2021 because you know like for me like it's it's a bummer but like you know like i want people to be healthy ultimately you know what i mean so this is like the best option that they could have gone with you know what i mean so yeah yeah this is just for 2021 who knows what's going to happen in 2022 but you know like you were saying john the theater experience is something else like you know i love going to a movie where like you know it's like a star wars or avengers and everyone in the oh theater is just rowdy yeah you know? man and like the crowd, <laughs> like, you, you, you can't you can't replace it and i think there is a big i think many people miss that especially during this pandemic many people miss that so i feel like it, it'll be decades before the the industry itself is <clears throat> i mean completely just the movie, the movie theater experience is completely done. I think that after this pandemic, that the movie theaters are going to adjust the way and the types of films that they really put in their theaters. But I, I feel like the people really still demand that. People want no, no. the in-person yeah. interaction. People crave it's, that shit. It's good. Yeah, so for yeah, me, I think it's the way that I see it is that maybe the theaters won't die off. But like going to the movies, going to a theater house, it's like it's not going to be the go to way to watch movies anymore. You know what I mean? I think right. that's like after yeah. Marlboro's announced this, this is like like movie theaters are the thing in the past now. But kind of, kind of we, the first step It's kind yeah. of the first step in the. Yeah. And you can only assume that every other studio is pretty much going to do the same thing. You know what I mean? But to me, it's like it's like like people that have like record players and vinyl records. Right. Like it's not everyone's way to listen to music, but people still do it. You know, like everyone right now either listens to music on Apple on Apple Music or Spotify, but there's still a market for people that buy record players and buy vinyl records. And, you know, so I think they'll still be around, but the movie theaters will just be a little smaller. There might not be any as many viewing rooms. That's it. Yeah. 
You yeah, know? for sure. I mean, there's also the fact that uh, the specific types of movies, like the Marvel movies and things like that, will be the ones in the theaters. Like, mm-hmm, I feel right. like, rom- like rom-coms and the, the movies that used to go to the theaters, like all the Oscar movies and things like that. Uh, well, that's a requirement. They have to play at a theater for a certain amount of time. And that'll probably but change. Yeah. That, and that, that may change. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like the rom-coms and things like that, I can see all of those type of movies that you don't like. Okay. So, so Marvel going to the theaters and experience, it's something it's made to be, to be watched on that big screen yes. a lot of times. The same as like a, a Christopher Nolan film, like it's made to be watched on that IMAX screen, mm-hmm. but there's the rom-coms and things like that, that aren't so much about the visuals that may not release in the theaters that may go mm-hmm. to the streaming services. So I think you're right. I think it's, it's going to be a limited amount of movies. Yeah. It really just depends on the movie's uh, visual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the draw. I think many can argue that it's kind of bullshit. It kind of caters to a specific type of the movies that we love and the movies that uh, are more spectacle and, and less, uh, I don't know, maybe thought provoking, but I, I could definitely, cause they're the biggest, they rack in the most money. They rake in the most money. It, it makes sense. Every time um, Fast and the Furious drops. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that's like a bummer too, right? Because like right now we're like, like movies are only about making money less than just like, you know, being artistic or whatever. No, yeah. They used to hide it a lot better. They used yeah. to hide it a lot better. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't even, right. even try to hide it anymore. Like, hey, man, well, I, I think make technology, this, this, this Marvel movie. It is now. I think technology is a big influence to that shit, you know, just because technology is advanced. It's like, okay, let's re let's reboot like the age of reboots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that technology has a big influence on that. And um, yeah, so that's that's HBO Max. So, Joe, all, all of the 2021 releases simultaneously will be in theaters and on HBO Max. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. And some of those releases are like like we got Dune, which is I'm pretty bummed on that because like, OK, if you're going to put yeah. Dune on HBO Max in 2021, like that movie was supposed to come out in December. Like, just give it to me right now. <laughs> you motherfucker. Yeah, for real. Like... That, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. So well, maybe because of there... the theater not being open. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> maybe because of the theaters. So yeah. the 2021 will actually be able to play in the theater as well, opposed to like now where it wouldn't. Oh, for sure. I guess sure. we'll, we'll see what that vaccine is talking about. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I, I do feel like that is one you, that it's probably meant to be watched in the theater. Yeah. hundred percent. Dune. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the cast like that, but the, the set photos that we've seen already, it's just, it looks like something you'd want to watch on the big screen. So it, it is, it is kind of a bummer. How does one pick and choose which ones to watch at home and which ones to go to the movie theater to, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. 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 Especially with that slate, man. Yeah, all, right. all the movies are dropping. It always it seems like all of them are kind of meant for that big screen. Yeah, dude. Especially right. like like one of those is Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, like, oh god, am I gonna want to oh, watch that? Oh, like... Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> They're so small on my TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like Mortal Kombat or the Suicide Squad. There, there's just yeah. I don't know. We're gonna have some good movies on streaming next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we know streaming is the future, so. That that's it for the the HBO Max talk, uh, listeners. Tap into our Instagram page to get a few details about that. We posted about it recently. A lot of our posts are very contextual. They have a lot of shit, so you guys can go on our page and you can see facts about diversity and all that. Uh, speaking of which, we're gonna jump right into our diversity report. Bada bing, bada boom. You know what I'm saying? 
and we're gonna get a little heated. It doesn't we, have we to. Need, but it's we need going a little to. jingle for that. Yeah, we, we're gonna get that jingle. Instead <laughs> of John sing a, a jingle, sing a song. Like a ding, go, ding, go old ding, school. Ding. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, oh, there it is, right there. Need a little, maybe maybe a little jazz. Gerardo can can cover us on the jazz or some shit. But um, yeah. yeah. So in this in this diversity report, every single week we'll go over diversity related issues or facts or we'll even highlight um topics from the actual 2020 diversity report the one that ucla publishes about hollywood film and television right now we're going to go into white savior movies and what they are could you give how we view them are they a thing and how this this type of media has an effect on the perception of people. Uh, you know, we're a show about inclusion and diversity, so we're going to speak about people of color. I have one movie in particular that I think I, I can frame this whole theory of white savior on. Well, before, be- before, before you get into it, could you define yes, yes. what it means to be a white what it is. movie? Yeah. Okay, okay. So to give a little background, a white savior movie is a story told kind of intended to highlight the struggles of let's say an underrepresented group however what it ends up doing is painting a white character in a much in a very positive light even when that character was fictional for example the movie um hidden figures with kevin costner taraji p henson there's a scene in there where it's supposed to be a very pivotal point. Kevin Kosh is walking down the hall and there's a colored sign above the bathroom. He rips it off. And it's like, oh God, that's so inspiring. But it's really, it's like, it's a, it's a person doing the right fucking thing. So mm. idea of a white savior movie is a, a movie that creates a character that is white, that goes on this journey with this person of color, kind of like Green Book, if you will. And that white character is is really... I guess the one that is highlighted and I don't want to say favored, but um, just pain in a light that may not always be accurate when they're actually complicit in in some kind of fucking form of racism or some shit like that. But um, I'd say that's how I sum it up, Joe. Um, and again, you know, a lot of this is objective, what we're saying, you know, the, the very title itself, White Savior Movie, what the hell is that? But if I would have to give a definition, that's what it is. It's, you know, something that kind of supposed to highlight people of color, but what it's really doing is it's kind of stroking the ego of white people. Um, so if I were to give an example, like the movie The Help, um, I'm going to get into the blind side. And I think maybe some examples from that will kind of help paint the picture of what I'm talking about. So The Blind Side, um, released in 09, stars Sandra Bullock, one of my favorite actresses, Miss Congeniality herself, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a movie about Michael Orr, who's a real football player, real NFL player. I saw a bro win the Super Bowl when he was with the Ravens, number 74. He's an offensive lineman. He's dope. The movie is about Michael Orr being kind of adopted by this, fe- this wealthy white family. There was a scene that I watched, and it stuck out to me so much I had to investigate. And it was a scene where Michael goes back to the hood. Mm-hmm. While he's in the hood, he's kind of down and out. He doesn't know if he wants to play football again. The main character, Michael Orr. So Michael is sitting down, he's talking to the, the neighborhood people, and this black dude, who's clearly a gangster, he says, okay, here's what we're going to do, Michael. We're going to sit down, we go get you a 40, and we're going to talk about this. So a 40-ounce, listeners, a 40-ounce is traditionally a lot of, in the African-American community, a lot of black people drink 40-ounce malt liquor drinks. Now, in real life, because I grew up poor and black, 
niggas ain't talking like that. They're not referencing 40 ounces like that. So I did a little investigating and sure enough, the writers of the blind side are white. It's based off of a book and the, both of the writers of this movie are white. And it just stuck out to me because it's one of those dialogue catches that I notice in movies where I can just feel it's not written by the actual person of color because when that actor delivered it, it didn't sound genuine. <clears throat> mm. um, I think the issue with Blindside, a movie I enjoy, because again, I played football my entire life, is I don't know if it figures out what audience it is trying to cater to. And when the black characters in this movie, like Michael Orr and Michael Orr's mother, and the other black people in this are represent the, the, their presence is they're either poor, illiterate, or they're mean. Because the black people in this movie who are not poor and illiterate, they're mean. And it, it's just, it's just, it highlights Sandra Bullock's character and being a savior of this young black man who's poor and homeless and on the streets. And there, there's a scene with the Michael Orr's actual mother, the black woman, and she's like, God, she's like, I don't even know who the boy's father is. Oh, God. You know, and she's on crack, of course, you know, of course a, she's a, a drug that is a very specific to the black community. And I'm, I'm just again, as a black person who watches this movie, it, it, I can't help but feel like anyone who watches that has this perception of black people. And maybe you can't take it so literal. And we're going to play devil's advocate later here, but I got to go in and just say that I think it shocks the ego of white people adopting a nigger. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like the movie Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg. They referenced this movie because that movie is about Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne adopting. And so they're like, maybe we can do a blind side and adopt a young black kid and he can make us money one day. And you know, it's funny because yeah. they did that because it's true. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts on if these types of movies are a thing, if it's something I'm just seeing or if there's kind of some trends that we can identify, I think there is. And I think it paints people of color in a lighting that strokes the ego of white people. And it's because I love movies so fucking much that I, I started noticing them more as I grew up. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you guys the floor. I wanna hear, Alex, what do you guys think? And are these kind of movies identifiable, if that makes sense? I think they're identifiable to our industry as a whole of kind of what it's been. Um, I feel like that's the problem is, is growing up seeing that that movie and then reading that Michael Orr was very displeased with it. Um, the guy right. that it's based off of, he was yes. not happy with that movie and how he was portrayed. They Absolutely. portrayed him as kind of slow and just kind of, he's like, man, I'm an athlete. I play basketball, I play football as a fucking star. Like, right. what do you, like, what do you portray me like that for? Sure. Um, so, but the problem is, is it's, it's so ingrained in our culture and around the world, just through the media because people forget that the world is seeing this too, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have someone, someone like Sandra Bullock in it. And 100%. then you go to her winning an Oscar. An How do you Oscar. argue it? For this so movie? Just, Did she win yes. an Oscar for this movie? For this movie. Oh, wow. She won. Yes. She won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, so me watching it before, man, I didn't, I didn't even realize it was a white savior movie. When I was looking, it's just like a lot of these movies, like um, like one example for me is like Dangerous Minds. I mm. didn't realize that was a white savior movie. Yes. Uh, this white lady goes to the hood and saves all these kids. And they, Biden, yeah. yeah, goes after their, their families when they their families ain't treating them right or make sure they get their uh, getting to school and like all these different things. Right. I had no idea. It was just a movie to me because yeah. you're so used to seeing it. Absolutely. Um, 
and it, it's not until later. And and I and that's why I can see a lot of people who they've been stuck stuck in the house, they've been sheltered, seeing all this Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. grow as it did during this last year. Yes, um, because they're just now seeing it when it's something we've seen our whole lives. Yes, and so it's like all of a sudden you you notice the things that are wrong in in our society. And I think it's the same thing with the white savior movies. And that's why so many things are happening at once. So then white people think they're being attacked, but it's like, no, this is just things that should have been addressed, addressed over the last hundred years that this industry is, has been going on. Right. And since it wasn't, now it's all coming back to you at once. Right. So, we, we were, we were used to it. We, we were very accustomed to it and us being lovers of film and cinema we didn't used to look at movies as white or we didn't look too too much into it like that. We just enjoyed them for what they are. And having watched Blindside again, you know, as a kid, when I watched it, it came on 09. I was in high school at the time. I enjoyed it. And I was like, God, what a I, I fell into this whole, you know, Sandra Bullock's character. What a good woman that is. What a selfless person it takes to just take in this black kid. And, you know, just I, I can't help but imagine the the white people who watch that who aren't actively around other black people and they just have this painted image through media and other things of what their idea of a black person is you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah and i could say that movie too is is kind of when i was getting into the meat of like being an actor of being okay like okay getting to the best of like trying to actually do something other than like action films yes. and like have a little more depth and things like that and so you you're studying these things sure. so for me it was like a you know film study and it was great and awesome and then later on you're like wait a minute okay like yeah it's a little pretty white savior it's like betrayed my people not in the best way like it's just kind of like a weird right kind of thing you wrestle with it's kind of like everyone hating uh howard the duck and me loving it and i'm just like bro (laughs) (laughs) why you hate howard the duck (laughs) so to to kind of play devil's advocate here should we say that these types of stories should not be told, although they they may be may be inspiring, they, they may very well uh, move people, they may touch people. It's like, how, how, who are we to say that these types of stories should not be told specifically because they are maybe not written by people of color or um, I'm trying my best to see the other perspective of it. You know what I'm saying? I want to I want to see the other side and how these types of movies, how people can justify them, because some of them, they may be slightly enjoyable. So it's yeah. like, how do we find that balance? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's not like they shouldn't be made, but I think they need to be made with a little more education and research. Yes. Um, possibly having someone who, um, like having Michael Orr actually go there and like check on that. Yeah. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you would think that like would happen. Character. You'd think they'd have you'd this think would be consulting. Kind of- yeah. yeah, you have someone consulting. I think I heard John talk about this before um, on a different podcast or something about uh, like Brian Cranston being cast as someone in the wheelchair, but having someone there who's actually paraplegic or, or in a oh, wheelchair yes. to kind of advise like, is this how it should be played or is this authentic? Right, that's the, movie, the upside. Joe, remember Chris right. Collins, he was talking about that, I think, about uh, yeah. a true vision <laughs> and uh, yeah, so and, and, yeah and I, I feel you I feel you so it's just kind of it's kind of like that is that I think you can tell these stories in a more thoughtful way but I I feel like the industry for so long has has faint I, I call it ignorance like I don't mm-hmm. think I would like to think that it's not straight up racism I would like to think because it's a business they're trying to to market to what has worked 
this whole right. time in business, right. which is white saviors mm-hmm. uh, around the world. Um, but you can no longer feign ignorance. Like it's just right. not, if you're, if your project is not diverse, you are actively trying to make it not diverse, especially right. if it's, if it's a story that's unnecessary. I can see if there's if a necessary story, small cast or something like that takes place in, you know, a certain area that's just white. But I, I do suggest that people look up demographics of the area that the film is taking place because you'll find that there is people everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. Um, like even when I was in, in Hawaii, I met this family from Arkansas and they're oh. saying that there's such a huge Hmong community in Arkansas. I was like, Hmong in Arkansas. They're like, yeah, it's huge. What the hell? I was like, what are you talking to? They're like, yeah. So it's like, when you even look at that, it, it's really important to research the areas that you're, that you're portraying yeah. and make sure there's fair representation of what's actually there. Right. Right. It's like, we're getting to a point where not being diverse is more intentional, you, you know, than, than being diverse. Um, so again, to play devil's advocates, 40.2% of people in this country are minorities. So that means that more than 50% are white. So maybe that just means that more of these stories are what we're going to see. Maybe that means that because there's more white people, there are more white actors. Maybe because there are more, you know, there's a higher population of white people. Maybe it just makes sense that there are more white people behind the scenes. So with, with that being said, these movies were made, like you said, Alex, not with the intent to be racist. They were made, one, to make money. We know a movie like Blindside will make money. Um, so realistically, what do you guys think is the kind of the timeline to where you start seeing a shift that it's not so forced right now in the last episode, I feel like right now we're in an awkward, an awkward diversity stage. When do you guys think we'll get to a, a time where it'll be authentic stories that are diverse without trying to be? I mean, I, I feel like it's going to be decades from now, but what, what do you guys think about that? It's starting. I think it really takes uh, people behind the scenes. I think yeah. Hollywood likes to throw them in front of the scenes, but as you saw from the diversity report too, is most of the people, the CEOs are like, are like 90% white. Right. So it's just kind of, if you're not seeing people of color in the writing room, if you're not seeing them, uh, mainly what it is now is we have to produce our own content. Right. Uh, you produce your own content. They see that you're successful and then they bring you on and, and try to give you a deal and, and stuff like that. That's yeah. pretty much what it has to be now. Yeah, that there's a responsibility for us to do that and yeah. not expect people who have not been through what we've been through to completely understand and then tell our stories for us. It takes us to get up and do the fucking work. Yes. Not only that, but you're talking about entertainment. And yeah. People do not give a shit about people in entertainment. And that's kind of, that's <laughs> yeah. the whole problem. It's like they see, oh, you're an actor. Oh, what are you complaining for? Oh, that must be easy. I can't tell you how many times like people are just oh you probably just like into like everything right you probably just like like oh you should go be on that show that's like my favorite thing you should go be on that show let me let me call let me call the showrunner let me go there tomorrow but uh yeah that's the thing is when you're in terms of actor people don't understand like it's also a business man like I it's a career choice I'm trying to like do something with my life that I'm good at and that I love sure opposed to just like oh you just want to be famous or you just want to do this and they it's almost a resentfulness too, because at one point or another, most people have wanted to be in entertainment at some mm-hmm. point. And yeah. They just never pursued it. Right, right. It's like every person may have had just a slight little little itch. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, yeah. To pursue it is is, is something different. So, uh, yeah, we also posted that on our, on our Instagram page, the White Savior post. 
It includes a few movies such as um, Hillary Swank's Freedom Riders, which I really enjoyed as a kid. And looking back on it, I can see how that movie is kind of falls into that as well. Um, but yeah, it was an article posted by Glamour. Uh, it includes Freedom Riders, The Help, Green Book, Blind Side, and it also includes alternatives that you can watch. So it'll say like, you, sh you should watch Remember the Titans. You should watch Black Klansmen. So I, I, I enjoyed that article because um, in the future here, we're going to get into some, some films, some movie reviews that really speak for the culture. Uh, so that's that. That's you got. You got any other thoughts on that, guys? The 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 diversity report. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about, um, right now, my, my guy. I mean, so you had your definition of like white savior movies, and then my like you know like little dumbed down version is like I guess my only thought about all these is that because you you said this before, it's like what kind of message are these filmmakers trying to send you know what i mean yeah at what audience like who who yeah, what like audience? who are you trying to appeal to especially with green book you know like I, i'll be honest with you like i i kind of enjoy green book but i can you enjoy green book. I, can, I can see like how like you know like oh no vigo mortensen's character is like he's like a little like problematic he's kind of racist but it's, it's like the way the movie paints it, it's like oh but look how far he comes by the end of the movie you know like he's not racist anymore he doesn't do all this that and the other it's like well right. like that's not that cool you know <laughs> That's just doing the, the thing. That's just being a decent fucking human being. Yeah. He's, he's taking responsibility. Like, look, at him. responsibility. Look, look, at, look at how much he's improving. It's like, no, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Right, right. So it's, again, this isn't trying to be an attack on white people, but, you know, just as a person of color growing up, I was so used to it and I just didn't see it as a kid. You don't see this shit until you really get older. You start understanding the effects that it has on the perceptions of people. So um, I mean, it's not an attack, but it's, it's important to bring up because, yeah. I mean, you have even during this whole Black Lives Matter movement, like how many people I don't know if you guys saw, too, but there's people posting about, oh, this is a white person's problem. White person, need, white people need to fix it. And I was like, isn't this a white savior moment? Shouldn't you like just back up the civil rights activists who've been doing this for like over a decade? Right. And then you just found out about it this summer and all of a sudden it's, it's a white people problem and white people need to fix it. Right. It's kind of like, no, it's your job to back up the people who are already fighting for their rights. Absolutely. Every time civil rights have happened, it's because of the people who stood up for their rights and made it happen. It wasn't because of white people. It was right. because of the people of color who stood up for their rights. Straight mm -hmm. up. Straight up. Absolutely, man. And um, it, it's it's crazy how in 2020, the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it has such a profound impact on the media and it's it's showing how the people speaking up is there are others who are listening some of the, these studios these these streaming services are listening and they're trying to establish that representation even though some of it is shit some of it is subpar some of it is average but at least that is the message being heard um yeah that's man, the problem when you have white people in, in running the productions of trying to save uh have the white savior or trying to be inclusive is they're telling it from their perspective and when yeah. you don't when you have the same perspective universally around your your whole industry the voice is kind of going to be the same you're going to get the white savior moments it's just going to happen right and it's it's not always intentional right right and i that's that's just kind of that that genuine ignorance that um it's, it's not really intentional like you say it's not it's not supposed to be it's not filled with spite or anything it's just it's something we're so used to and in order for those stories to be told accurately people behind the scenes subject matter experts 
they they have to be influencing these types of movies. It's it's crazy how you would think Michael Orr didn't look over the script or some shit and was like, no, this is trash. Get that out. Let, let me. This is not because they do kind of paint him in that movie like he's just kind of not all there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like mentally, he's just this big physical. He's just really mentally weak. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you exactly. cannot be that way if you're if you're a top tier athlete. You will right. not. You will not be that way. You won't. Not not at no. You bro, athletes are little assholes. They will talk shit to any. <laughs> they know they're going to a good college. They have all kinds of people with scholarship offers. They are normally they're little dicks. But um, <laughs> in this movie, yeah, he they paint him in, in this image as so different. So, um, okay, that that is the diversity report section. Oh, and one one more thing before we move on because you said something pretty interesting. Oh um, yes. So with the Black Lives Matter movement, I just watched, and I don't know if you guys watch Euphoria. Do either of you guys watch Euphoria? I haven't seen it. I need, need to watch it's it. Back, right? good so, yeah, no, it's not back for season two, but they're releasing like a couple episodes here and there. But no, I just no. watched an episode, like it's like a special episode of Euphoria that they just released this morning. Oh, and wow. it's just it's just a conversation um, between Zendaya's character and uh, Coleman Domingo's character. And they're just like talking in a diner for like an hour. And one of the points that Coleman Domingo said was that like, oh, well, like, look at this big corporate company like Nike, like and they mm-hmm. they they plaster like, you know, Black Lives Matter just all over their like all the all, on their billboards and stuff. They and do. It's, it's like, OK, well, like now you go into a store and then you've attracted like all these like people of color into your store. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, like, well, like you said, Black Lives Matter, but these shoes are still like two hundred dollars. So it's like, you know, like, oh, yeah, At the end I of the feel day- like. I feel like sometimes like these companies will are trying to almost capitalize on the moment, you know, oh, yeah. be like, oh, yeah, look at us like and look at what we care about. And it's like, sure. oh, these these people care about this. So I'm going to go buy their products. You know what I mean? It's like, OK, well, do you actually care about it? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time, you know, no, and that's, that's accurate. Yeah, it's a business at the end of the day. If they know that by doing that, by showing that they are because it's with the times, if they're showing that they support that they're not going to lose business. I think we're in the age of the cancel culture, you know, God forbid you, you, your business does some kind of unethical practices. I mean, I've seen Starbucks in the news sometimes like cancel Starbucks. Don't go there because they've done this. Um, so yeah, especially for Nike, when they have all these black athletes, a part of their brand, of course, they get to stand up and say, Hey, black lives matter buy our shit. Still 200 bucks, still plus taxes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me let you know we care. <laughs> but hey here's a sticker black lives matter all right 20 percent off next time asshole um but yeah you know what it's it's slowly but surely changing the industry is so we always love talking having that diversity report and that was it again listeners go to the cast of color instagram you can look at some of the details on these posts um where they're from the sources of it and all that so give us a follow we out here and I think we're moving on. We're moving on to the, the next part of the show. And this is going to be just a, a little movie review on the Hulu movie, Happiest Season, with starring Kristen Stewart, uh, Dan Levy, and awesome little movie, very charming. So Joe, do we, do we have any kind of, do we have a synopsis for this bad boy, Happiest Season? So it's a, a young, oh, here it is, a young woman with the plan to propose to her girlfriend while had her family's annual holiday party discovers her partner hasn't yet come out to her conservative pedant. Yes, yes. So it is 
a very enjoyable movie. Kristen Stewart is the lead. She plays Abby. Mackenzie Davis, who was very impressive to me in that movie. I'm not I'm not very familiar with Mackenzie Davis. She's, uh, she played, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Harper. Totally. What's that? Tolly. That's the last thing I saw her in was Tolly with uh, Charlize Theron. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. I might have to watch that. I really I've enjoyed her in part. some places. I think she was actually, was she in Blade Runner? I think she was in Blade Runner. Really? She's, she's the one with uh, the one with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, she is quite she is towering over Kristen Stewart in this movie. Well, they're also like five, two. Yeah, so she's, probably, <laughs> she's probably pretty tall, though. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife was like, why is Kristen Stewart looking short? I'm like, no, that woman is just tall, my love. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but yes, yes I, I, I Mackenzie Davis was in Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, she was. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Is that, okay. is that crazy, though? Like, she's done all of these big things where, like, you're recognizing her now, but like she's done so much work. I know. Like, oh, wait, Mackenzie Davis. Like, who, who is that? Right. Right. Can you re- can you remember? She did so many movies. But it's that's, just... that's so funny. That's how some yeah. actors hit for you. It's, it's like I, I've recognized them and other things, and but then once you see them in that one movie, it's oh damn, I didn't know they were in that or that or that. That's yeah. how it was for Jared Leto, bro. Like once once he was Joker, cast as Joker, I I guarantee so many people went back and saw how much shit Jared Leto really is in. And... Yeah, because he had the Thirty Seconds to Mars for so long, like he oh, was yeah, just gosh. straight to the music uh, for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. That's not. It's crazy to think that bro was just all about the music because he's such a fucking good actor. Oh shit! But happiest season. I really enjoyed it. I think it's not just coming of the times, but I think some of the little awkward exchanges in this movie with trying to conceal who they are. Because that's that's Kristen Stewart's biggest issue. She's concealing who she is because her girlfriend, who she wants to propose to, hasn't come out yet. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. Harper. Her girlfriend, her dad is running for mayor for the town that they they live in, their hometown. Um, all of Harper's people think that she's obviously straight. You know, her ex-boyfriend. Can I, can I stop you real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so the fact that he's in politics and the fact that he's running for mayor, is it alluded to in any way that he is like Republican conservative? I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's more so just, well, I'd say conservative. Yeah, I'd, I'd say conservative, but I'd say it's more so just the image that comes with anyone being in politics. That's I think true. it's implied too. I think yeah. it's implied that he is more on the Republican side, just because it wouldn't be it wouldn't the stakes wouldn't be so high if he was a Democrat. Honestly, sure. Yeah. Just especially yeah. with the times now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. Yeah, and and you you see that in the crowds that are in this movie, the types of people that they're around. You know, when, when I saw that it was Kristen Stewart, when I saw the, the premise of the story, my biggest thing was I just hope it wasn't reaching. I, I hope that the characters made sense and I hope it wasn't trying to check a fucking diversity box, which many movies are trying to do. I think it was charming enough to do so and it told a real story. I love, spoiler alert listeners, we're getting into a heavy review of this movie, so spoiler alerts ahead. Cover your ears. <laughs> Cover them ears if you don't want this, you know what I'm saying? But um, <laughs> I, I love the breakup scene. I love when Kristen Stewart just walks up and says, hey, it's over. She's like, Harper, it's over. I'm done. The reason I love that is because it seems very reactionary. It mm-hmm. seems like she was talking to her uh, her gay best friend played by Dan Levy. Dan, Le- Dan Levy? Yeah, Dan Levy. Yeah. Um, Kristen Stewart's talking to him. She sees her, her girlfriend talking to her ex-boyfriend, and it triggers her. She's been biting her tongue this entire time. She's been hiding the fact that she's lesbian. She's been saying she's her girlfriend's roommate when they're really lovers, and it triggered her. So that breakup scene, it seemed very reactionary, very very genuine. And 
the scene later where Harper actually does come out. And we're going to talk more about coming out, even though, you know, I'm a straight guy. It's just when my gay brother came out to me, it's a very powerful moment. So I can only whenever I see those moments in film, I'm like, damn, that's that takes some guts. And I think this movie did it in a way that was kind of kind of Hollywood and that it was just big buildup of emotions. And then finally, she says, this is me. But I love how when she finally comes out and she she goes to Kristen Stewart and she's like, hey, I did it. Like, I, this is what I did for you. And Kristen Stewart says it's too late. That actress, you know, who we we're just talking about, Harper uh, Mackenzie, yeah, Mackenzie, Kenzie um, Davis, Mackenzie <laughs> Davis. I think that scene, it it really it, it was powerful. Like when because she started holding her heart, and I remember my wife. My wife was like, "Oh, she was like, I know that feeling. So I know that feeling of heartbreak. You know, when it when that person just confirms that it's over." Um, so I, I loved. I, I enjoyed this movie. I think it was very. Um, I think it was very charming. I think it was a great holiday movie in the sense that they explain why each character is so fond of Christmas. They go into Kristen Stewart's background. How come she doesn't enjoy Christmas anymore? She lost her family. Um, what do you guys think, though? Do you think that as far as being an organic story, because it's about it's about a, a couple of uh, a lesbian couple and they have funny jokes in there and everything. But do you think that the story is these characters are organic. Do you think it tells an organic story? Do you feel like it's just a little forced to try to check that diversity box? What are y'all's thoughts? No, I mean, hell no. I think this movie is very, is very real. Like, even if like, um, like, I think almost like it's a relatable story to anyone, you know, I feel like there's like a certain, um, yeah. there's a certain anxiety that comes with just, you know, just bringing your significant over for the holidays, you know what I mean? And then, now, right. like you bring your significant over, but it's like, oh, no, you have to hide this, like this part of them. And it's like, it's, you know, it's like, I don't know, like, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think it tells the story. <laughs> I mean, it's it's straight up telling a lesbian story, you know, yeah. of today. Of yeah. today they, People have and, to remember, too, that that this this is a rom com. This is uh, the first of its kind. Right. And so you're having a lesbian rom com Christmas movie. Uh, yeah, which I'm I'm actually excited to work into the rotation. Probably when my daughter grows up, she's <laughs> right. going to work into the rotation. Right. Um, so not only do uh, Clea Duvall, who's the director and co-writer with uh, Mary Holland, it's Mary so Holland good. plays the third sister, who's always oh, trying to please wow. everyone. So she's a. I love the family too. The family's great. She's hilarious. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, she's great. Everyone's great. And this is you know I haven't admittedly I haven't seen all of Kristen Stewart's movies. Um, but this is the only movie I can say, like, I really, really liked her. Like, yeah. Really, really fell for her uh, for this movie. Um, Kenzie Davis, she's great. I hated her. I hated her. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. And oh, you hated her character? <laughs> I hated her character. Just I feel because you she's so mean to oh, Kristen just Stewart. Little when she went, to her, <laughs> she went to her families. I was like, come on. And Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza is in this as well. Yes, and I love Aubrey Plaza. Like I, I love, yep, same yeah. here. I love Aubrey she's, Plaza. She's so dope, amazing. Um, but also, that's kind of the thing too. Is they're like, why couldn't she end up with? Uh, spoiler alert, alerts everybody. Spoiler, <laughs> couple yes. years. All right, cool. <laughs> We're moving on. All right, so but they're like, why? Why doesn't she end up with Aubrey Plaza's character because of the things that Mackenzie Davis's character Harper did to yes. Aubrey character? Both Riley of them. did the, the same thing to both of them. Did the both? She did it in the past, yeah. and then she did it in the future. So it's kind of like a, it's really cool how they connected that as well. Yes. And the thing about this too is the director is a lesbian as well. 
So the director co-writer is a lesbian. So she's telling a story from uh, a knowledgeable perspective. So it's yeah. not just some random person writing. It's not like me writing the script and then right. telling the story. Um, as far as like, and John just said this too, is relate relating to what it feels like to come out to your family. I have no idea. So that's not as something that I can even speak on, but I'm right. with Joe where I'm just like, no, I don't feel like anything was not authentic. I felt like it was a very charming, very cool, like movie. And I'm really happy that it's here. Yeah. And people, this is what everyone keeps saying is representation matters. Like it just matters. It sounds cheesy, but representation does matter. Absolutely. And not only that, but this is, it's been a hit. Like it's a hit. Like it's people love hit. it. And even hit. in the diversity report, when you have more diversity equals more money, it's just good business right. to do this as well. So right. it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to not have diversity. Right. That's I think there was a fear of taking that time. risk. Yeah. 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 I, I think before Alex, it was that fear of taking the risk. I, I think. Well, when something's I, working for over a hundred years, like why do you yeah. don't change it? Right. Exactly. But, but when you, people are starting to become more aware of like, oh, I only think this way because of what I'm shown and people are starting yes. to become more conscious. And that's one thing that social media has done is kind of yes. put that at the forefront. It mm -hmm. has. It has. So, That's one of the most positive aspects of social media is some of the issues that were so clear to disregard before. It seems like they're so blatant now and they're so they've just been brought to the surface. I love how you brought out the director, Alex, uh, Claria Duvall. She's also in Girl Interrupted, which I watched. That dude, she's, she's that girl that you see in every movie and yeah. show. And you're like, oh, I like that girl. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the that's who she like. She's in so much. She has like eight over 84 credits to her Damn. name. She's mm. only been a series regular like a couple of times too, which is, you know, that happens. She's yeah. been doing this for so long and she books so much. Yeah. And then she went over to the, uh, you know, the writer director area and she's just extremely knowledgeable. Yeah. I think for the better, I think, like you said, when you have someone with that, that anecdotal personal experience, the stories are easy to feel true. Like these characters in this, in happiest season, they felt true and you know, even Dan Levy's character, you know, he plays the gay best friend, but it wasn't just, you know, a gay best friend. It was someone who related to to Abby's character and gave her her space. And then once it got to a moment where he felt like it was just unbearable, then he came. Then he was like, I've been tracking your phone. Sure, that's kind of the, the rom-com best friend aspect of it. But um, I, I just think it worked. No, no, that's real as fuck, dude. Everybody like I have my friends on find my friends. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. people do that these days. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It's realistic. It's real as fuck. It's real as fuck. <laughs> real as fuck. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love how, um, you know, Christian Stewart's character and I think it was Audrey Plaza's character. They had a reason for kind of connecting and it was that they shared this, this common thing that and the, I'll just pause the character said it. She said it like we were both we're both in love with someone who is afraid to be who they are. Mm -hmm, and right. they I, I love seeing that, though. I love seeing how, you know, there's one scene where um, Kristen Stewart comes back in Harper's dress. She's like, where were you today? She's like, oh, I just went out to get my white elephant gift. She's like, oh, who'd you go out with? I was like, OK, I, I love the little cattiness. That just <laughs> seems seems kind of real. But um and then you see Harper's reaction. She ends up, you know, this whole time in the movie, her ex-boyfriend Connor is in the picture coming to family events. And then you see her blatantly flirting with, with uh, her ex-boyfriend. And then that's when Kristen Stewart ends it. So um, I, I enjoyed it again. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I think that having someone like Cleo Duvall behind 
the scenes directing it. I think it's very easy to feel that this is a Christmas classic. I think this is going to be worked into the rotation, like my boy said. You know what I'm saying? I my biggest fear with movies these days when they take this kind of risk because it is a rom com, and when they take this kind of risk is that it's going to be cheesy and forced. And I didn't get that from this. I got scenes where it was campy and feel good, but it, it felt very grounded. Even when they were kind of out in public, the way they, I feel like they carried themselves the way um, couples do in public. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, <clears throat> going back to what you're saying about uh, Aubrey Plaza's character, Riley, yeah. I was reading an interview with uh, Cleo Duvall, the, the director, and she was saying that how, when she would go somewhere or like be on set and she was the only queer person on set, it felt so isolating. So not only that with Kristen Sue's character and no one knows that she's gay, it's like, she's there and she's alone, like literally and figuratively, like she's alone. She Mm. has no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what Riley was for her is that one person that she would see on set and they would just gravitate towards each other and they would just be able to relate yeah. And, and love each and like kind of be understanding and be able to be open and free. Yes. And that's, that's kind of the purpose. I thought that was like, man, that's, that's really deep. See, and there's so many things about that's this powerful. that I just, I don't know about. So it's really cool seeing this movie and reading more uh, about the, uh, the reasons that she did certain things yes. in the script as well. Right. A- absolutely. Absolutely. It helps me check my privilege at the door. You know what I'm saying? At yeah. the end of the day, I'm physically and mentally able and I'm a man and I'm, I'm a heterosexual. So I'll never have to make this huge public statement about my sexuality. I'll never have to feel like I'm going to be judged because of that. So there are certain luxuries I have as a heterosexual man that um, this this movie kind of just showed. It's really that, oh, that scene with Dan Levy where he was asking Christian Stewart, he was like, how did your parents react when you came out? And she was like, they said they supported me and they loved me. He was like, it's amazing. He was like, my dad kicked me out and we didn't speak for 13 years. He was like, don't judge Harper because she's not ready to come out. It's not, it's not about you. You know, it's, it's, it's more, it's whenever she's ready and you have to just be willing to understand that. Um, yeah, I've never had that level of anxiety about any fucking thing in my life. When I was proposed to my wife, I was like, I, I'm 99.5% sure she gonna say motherfucking yes. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But um, <laughs> that I, I can't think of any experiences where I've had that level of anxiety. So, um, and it is really about compassion for Harper and her situation. Yeah, uh, and kind of learning about that. So it's like for me, I'm just like oh, I hate her. I hate her. I, I was, I was just, just like, a bitch. I was like, Chris like, Stewart, leave her, leave her punk ass. <laughs> yeah, but she absolutely is, pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> oh. the whole the whole thing is like when you love someone and you don't really know what they're going through, uh, not coming out to their family, she has a fear of losing her family. Right. So it's really about the relating or having compassion or sympathy for her uh, in her situation. Like she's in a really bad situation. Yeah. And it could, it could get much worse to where she's. Alive. Yeah. Interesting how you said that, man, because Christian Stewart's character literally loses her family. She loses her parents in that, but regardless she has had that support from them to the point where she's she has this confidence and this belief that i will always be true to myself harper's parents or family are still here but she has this huge fear that if i am true i'm gonna lose that and that's genuine so it's it's interesting how you you can hate her fucking character but the kind of the point of it is to show you you have to be compassionate because the the decisions that she's making and the shit that she's doing are for other reasons and Yeah, yeah. Even the mom in the movie, who's funny, she's the mom from Step Step Brothers. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. 
yeah, she's funny. Um, but yeah, she, you know, she has that moment with the dad. She's like, you know, we have a kid out there just got a heartbroken because she didn't want to tell us who she really is. We got a, another daughter who's, you know, divorced that we didn't even know about it. And I can't believe the third sister is the co-writer. She is fucking hilarious. But now it doesn't surprise me because she was just very good. I was like, she she is funny. I mean, I would honestly, for me, I, I tend to look up everyone, even if it's not a big like studio movie or something like that. Yeah. Because most likely like the writers, directors, people, producers behind it, they're probably in it at some point. That's cool. Like, it's just, I mean, you have to create your own projects now for that story to get told. Like she had to, they had to write it. They had to create yes. it. Yes. Um, because no one else is going to do it. Right. I mean, right. It's, it just goes back to just being different. I mean, the people that I relate to is like the rock had to produce snitch. Uh, Vin Diesel had to yeah. have a couple films in Sundance and then get discovered by Steven Spielberg before he was even given a chance. He was out in LA for 13 years or 12 years, didn't book shit. So yeah. it's kind of like a weird, a weird thing where you have to create your own opportunities, especially if you're different and there's no one writing for you because as much as people want to say that they don't like writers tend to have someone in mind when they're writing. Yes. So like, if you have a bunch of people bunch of white people writing they're gonna have white people in mind right writing it depending on obviously their their group of friends and things like that yeah yeah it makes sense it makes sense and for for me it's like my story if i were to write more than likely it's gonna have something to do with being you know black and hawaiian and a military veteran and it might have that kind of feel to it you know what i mean it's it's like when you see Seth Rogen or Adam Sadler movies, sometimes they incorporate that Jewish culture because that's what they are. You know, even if it's subtle, yeah. they'll incorporate that. So it's like there's a saying, write what you know. So it, it, it makes yeah. sense. And that, that's what this movie, Happiest Season, felt. It felt like someone who knew and can personally relate wrote this movie because the scenes just felt like it was a, a couple that you could relate to, regardless if you're heterosexual or if you're gay. And I think the idea of this being a classic Christmas movie moving forward, I think that's awesome because that's how it feels for me. Like this is a movie I can pop on every Christmas and watch with the family. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more organic stories like this told. So very, very dope watch. I enjoyed it. If I haven't said that shit enough. (laughs) Um, One more time. One more time. One more time. One more time. So listeners, if you haven't caught that, tap into Hulu. I saw people post about this movie. I, I told my wife I wanted to get around to it. It's the happiest season. It's dope as hell. And, uh, you know, we're a show that highlights diversity. I think this does a great job of it without being corny and, and shitty. Most, more, most importantly, it's, it's not shitty and it's entertaining. So, um, anything else? It's not shitty. <laughs> so it's, it's not bad. <laughs> ah, Joe, that's funny. You, you have the, the same name as I do on your, your Zoom now I figured out why. Okay. Because I'm, lo- I'm logged into yours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that makes sense. We saw, John, we saw John's process in real time. Right. There. <laughs> yeah, everyone just see and hear that. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's all we got listeners yet again. Thank you so much, Alex, my guy. We yep. appreciate your presence, man. And we hope this is just another one of many from you. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yes. for sure. Yes, please. Yes, yes, please, yes. please come also, again. Also, a quick shout out. Um, go follow uh, at wow underscore the underscore film. It's making it away through festival circuits. You can watch it for free right now. Yeah, uh, Just nice. follow that. Nice. Tap in on Instagram. Yes, yes. Got to, got to. The boys I see you guys winning all these awards, up. and that's that's fantastic, man. 
yeah, yeah dude. it's a 23 i think 23 plus festivals and over a dozen awards right now holy shit I think it's still got a year to go or something like that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. I mean, it's written by Justice Gamble. Um, then he brought me on to help uh, co-direct and produce it. And then Justice has been doing all the post stuff and things like that. So Dope. just just the two of us, pretty much. Oh, damn. Damn. Well, hell yeah, man. Well, shit. You, if you have anything to post, you can always tag the cast of color. We'll repost that. Listeners, follow the boy Alex Benjamin. He's always got some some projects cooking up. So Knowing that we appreciate you taking the time, you know, with the wife, the newborn daughter, the career you have. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, man. You know, we out here. So, Joe, before we sign off here, anything else you got, my brother? Not really. I think (laughs) (laughs) it's been a nice start to the Saturday morning for the boy, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. For sure. Well, listeners, again, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at the cast of color. Thank you very much for listening, for showing the love. Alex, thanks again for pulling out my guy. We're signing off here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We go come back with some more episodes with the boy. So listeners tap in. We're signing off here. Peace. Peace.